Welcome to the latest episode of the Arts Learning Festival podcast. I'm Shane Green and I'm part of the festival team here at Independent Schools Victoria. For those of you joining us for the first time, let me tell you a little bit about the festival. The Arts Learning Festival is a celebration of the importance of the arts in education. We held our first festival in 2017 and it was great to see the response from schools, families and the wider community. And while we represent independent schools, we invited students and teachers from all schools to join us. We're returning this year, over three days in May, with a new exciting program. And that's the purpose of this podcast, exploring the program and helping students and teachers decide how they might want to take part. In our first edition, we took a deep dive into the schools program with the festival curator, Anne Smith. In this episode, we're delighted to talk to Mary Mattingly, the acclaimed New York-based visual artist who will be presenting at the festival with an event called Objects in the Round. She combines her visual art practice with the environment and education, and she works with everyday objects we consume, producing large-scale art projects. Mary's work has been featured in prestigious art festivals, galleries and museums around the world. And she's also collaborated with New York's Museum of Modern Art with their team program. We were lucky enough to catch up with Mary in her studio in Brooklyn, in Dumbo. No, not the Walt Disney elephant with the big ears, but down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass. It's a former industrial area, which is now very cool. Things say Fitzroy, and it's a perfect place to find someone like Mary Mattingly. Her studio is on the 10th floor of a repurposed factory. It's light, airy, and not far from the Manhattan Bridge overpass. It's a bustling area with plenty of New York traffic, and you'll hear the occasional noise from the street rising up as we talk. It's also a long way from where Mary grew up, the rural industrial community of Summersville, Connecticut. We asked Mary about how it all began for her and the formative role growing up in Summersville in the 1980s played. There it's mostly tobacco farming and some some corn. Um, not like it is in the Midwest here, but it but that town was what I knew when I was growing up and the ramifications or the problems from industrial agriculture were definitely part of growing up. I think the pollution of the water and um, the chemicals that were put on the plants and stuff like that, that stuff being in literally in my backyard, I guess. Well, I didn't live on a farm. Um, there were some houses that were near the farms and stuff like that. So, so I think I was able to be very close to the outdoors. I think I was kind of raised by the outdoors more than okay. more than the indoors. Mm-hmm. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. So you were seeing it all around you and the impact on, with the environment. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I worked on farms as a kid, like picking berries and things like that for um, people who would just want to come up and pick the already picked berries. So yeah, that's a lot of what I did was landscaping or or picking at farms for a long time. Now, in terms of the art, uh, where did that uh, begin for you? Was that just something that was always there and, uh, and a means of expressing yourself? Well, I guess my dad uh, had a f- camera, so he showed me how to use it when I was about 12. And then at that point in time, I started to go and photograph the farms, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, I, I knew that I was good at that and really enjoyed it and was doing a lot of creative projects around that time. I also was trying to get my neighbors to participate in larger events like fairs that I would try to throw or, you know, 
how kids put on plays sometimes. Mm -hmm. If you go to the Arts Learning Festival website, artslearningfestival.com.au, you'll see a photo of Mary pulling a bundle of objects down a Brooklyn street. In her studio, there are several examples of bundles, bundles of objects from her life that aim to make us aware of what we consume. She explained the history of bundles. Yeah, so I guess in 2012, I had a different studio in Greenpoint in Brooklyn, and I was making a small bundle in the corner of things that I didn't want to get rid of that I saw value in, but I uh, also didn't really want in the way. And I just left it there, and it started accumulating, and I was just tying things together and kind of thought it was an interesting form. Over the course of a year, it became an actual boulder size and at that point I said I want to take this seriously I I like this as an icon instead of as these individual objects I think they're more powerful and then I started to really take it on as a project where I put almost everything that I possessed into bundles at the time and before I did that I documented their provenance or Mm -hmm. their supply chain as much as I could so where the objects were potentially mined from if they were minerals or if they were books you know where the paper was procured from and so on until I had this online library and the idea with the online library was it was recording everything so before it went into the bundle I could still access for instance the books via pdf that I would make and upload I didn't want to take away the use of the objects completely but I wanted to at least describe my own consumption and through these large forms I could talk about just the things that one person had and that's how it started. Not surprisingly the bundles provoke a range of different reactions. Um, I think that I'd say the most common reaction is how absurd this is potentially and I think that's wonderful. I think that playing with people's perceptions of what's absurd and what's common and what's acceptable and then what may be potentially acceptable the more we do it is pretty exciting to me. So I'd say that across the board people do think that the work with the bundles is quite absurd and I think it's poetic so I think that I try to keep that space open and yeah people like it or they don't. There's a mixed review on that. I'm just looking at the bundle over there, just over your shoulder there. Now you've got, it looks like a drum, a drum skin on one side, a little drum skin. I can see, well, a fly swatter, some photographs. The story of this bundle, can you tell me about that? So the drum skins were actually found in the studio building that I was working in, and I liked them, so I brought them in and just sat with them for a while, and then finally I thought, I don't think I'm going to make a sculpture out of this, but I'm going to put them into a bundle. A lot of what's in here is fabric. Uh, There's some camera equipment. On the underside, there's more. So there's a lot of clothing, bags, photographs, like you notice some books, a fly swatter. Yeah, I don't ever remember where that fly swatter came from. It must have been in the studio. (laughs) It looks like it's been well used, so it must have been. uh... (laughs) Okay, that's really interesting. So you've got it sitting on a trolley there. Obviously, you're turning around for us now. Yeah, there, there are some CDs, Talking Heads. Talking Heads, good band. Yeah, I do have an MV3 of that if, <laughs> if we can't just get it off of YouTube by now. Um, a lot of notes, it looks like. Yeah, a lot of, other, a lot of books that I scanned. Um, some shoes. Yeah, it's, I think it's like basically stuff that I would have 
been using every day. It's really, uh, it's quite something. So when you're recognising the, the parts of it, is that an interesting process in itself when you go back and look at? Yeah, I mean, I do, I do forget about um, some of the objects and I realize that I probably never did need them. And you know how you have this, sometimes this urgency to acquire something because you think you really need it. And so when I see things in the, on the outer layer of the bundle that I remember using quite often, I think about those things in a different way now. But for the most part, I guess I, I um, see it as a full sculpture and I don't really see the individual parts. Okay. One of Mary's most visible and acclaimed works is Swale. That's a public floating food forest in New York City. Mary explains. So Swale's a barge. It's a 130 by 40 foot deck barge um, that's growing a food forest on top of it. So the food forest is a place where anyone can come to pick fresh food for free and it's the has been the one place in New York City where that's public where you can come and just freely forage and the project started because for a few different reasons the most substantial I think is learning that in New York City it's been illegal to pick from public land for the last hundred plus years and that's really? Yeah, because it's considered destruction of property. And the city at the time was afraid that if everybody was foraging from public parks, then they would look completely different. And that could lead to people actually pulling the whole plant out and then maybe coming and collecting trees at some point. So it was kind of started the process of distrusting people in public space. And, And I think that that distrust has really defined what the city has really become, I think, and there, it's so litigious here now, and you know that's happened over a course of a long time and for many different reasons. But I think because there's a lack of perceived responsibility by people, there's a, you know there's a way that we tend to act that's a little bit less caring for public spaces, and I think that a project like Swale and hopefully more spaces in the city like that where people are able to come and pick food kind of leads to people also caring for the plants in a different way and caring for public spaces in a different way so that's like the social experiment side of swale really what it is it's all perennial plants so the more people pick the more people prune the plants and the better they grow the following year so it's a cycle that's really i think you know leading to different avenues for access to fresh food in the city in a city where it's also really expensive to buy fresh food and a lot of places you can't even find it. So that's how it started. But it's, it definitely is connected to, you know, growing up in farming territory. Of course, of course, yeah. Thinking about water and water here as a public space where the rules are different. So you can do different things on the water than you can on public land here. So you're not breaking any laws by, no. by having the barge and, and people coming to pick the... No, barges. it can be docked right on public land, but as long as it's on the water, then the Coast Guard's laws apply first. So That's great. It's and interesting. What, what sort of reaction do, do you get from people when they come on board um, and pick the produce? I think people are at first surprised and depending on if they're younger or they're people with their parents, I think parents are a little bit less sure about asking, seeing if their kids will pick something. But the kids, the young people are really excited to pick. I think it just, it depends on where we are, how many people are coming to visit, how much news there is about it, the level of acceptance that people have. I'd say people are uh, sort of like the bundles, half of the people who come onto Swale are very curious about it, but might not pick anything. And then the other half are 
fairly eager to come and collect fresh foods. Working with young people provides some of the most stimulating conversations and thinking for Mary. We asked her about this important audience for her work and what she'll bring to the Arts Learning Festival in May this year. Yeah, I think it's, um, you never know what to expect and you can come into a place with an idea and it's completely transformed by the minds <laughs> of young people because they're, yeah, there's, it's like any sort of collaboration, I guess. It's like when you are working with others, whatever idea you came in with exponentially changes and usually for the better. So yeah, it's been very important to work on projects like Swale and other public projects with young people and their insights have transformed those projects. Is that sure. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, with you know the way that the space, way you walk around the space, the where things are planted, what's planted there, you know what is the ideal. I think the best questions that I've had and interactions that I've had with young people on on spaces and projects like that have been, you know, what is your ideal swale look like? How does it function? Or you know, what is your ideal bundle look like? And then you really, you know, your mind starts to open up because you have forgotten how to think like that in a way. Yeah, I'm thinking now what, what's my ideal bundle look like and what's my ideal swale? It's true. It opens up that uh, that whole line of thinking for you. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't know everything, but you can ask those questions again. L- last time I did a workshop with young people on swale, we were talking through that question and people thought about, you know, underground, underwater worlds and what you could grow under the water that could then be lifted up onto the barge and how people could access that, things that fly above. I don't know, it's really exciting. That's great. Yeah, it just shows you what can happen when you ask the question. I know, and then can you pull it off and make it happen <laughs> yeah. is another question, but yeah. it's definitely fun. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you'll be bringing to the Arts Learning Festival, Objects in the Round. Mm-hmm. Can you describe the concept? Yeah, so the idea is that if we each bring three things that we may or we may not care about, we want to find ways to care about them if we don't. So we'll bring three objects and we'll dissect their supply chain and then we'll draw them to have this hand-eye coordination memory that is so necessary for long-term memory of physical things. And then we'll collaboratively make a landscape with them. So I'll collect things around the city as well and then with your three objects we'll integrate those in really thoughtful ways into this landscape that's going to be like a stage in the round uh, theater space and it'll grow over the course of the three days and then at the end of the three days we'll slowly start taking it apart and we'll be recording the the whole time so the experience of the landscape being built and then coming apart. That sounds amazing. Uh, What a great concept. I was really thinking about it because I've been doing all of this research around mining and where particular objects are coming from and how decentralized that processes and sometimes you, you know you might be grabbing from a mine in one country and then it becomes too expensive and the multinational who's building the product then goes to another country to grab resources essentially and then then these products are made then we live with them and then we sort of end up discarding them or, or letting them move on to other people or to other places and I started thinking about the landfill as this big collaborative project and how that really defines our landscapes today and how interesting it is to try to see actually a landscape built of objects and maybe even mimicking a landscape that we're more familiar with and just how layered that is and then where the conversations can go from there. And when we stop having the option to 
landfill and we must live with these things in a way that's that's um, where they're very they're very seen so that's kind of where it was coming from and that will really resonate coming to Melbourne coming to Australia that's a really big issue interesting yeah here as well I, I'm sure you, you can imagine fresh kills is one of the largest human-made structures on the earth for a long time and that's the landfill that's in Staten Island here and now the garbage from this city is going to about eight different states and um, the city's paying um, those areas to take the garbage of New Yorkers. To reconfigure that and to think about those things as really valuable instead of garbage is really important and I think that if we were able to live with the things that we utilize, we use, we think we don't need anymore, you know, we, can, we would appreciate them in a different way. We'd have to. Mary Mattingly, it's been great to visit you here at Dumbo, next to the Brooklyn Bridge in New York, in your studio, and we can't wait to have you in Melbourne at the festival. Thank you so much for coming here, and I cannot wait to be there. See you soon. Objects in the Round is aimed at students in years 9, 10, 11 and 12. And if you'd like to book, there are still some places available. Just go to our festival website, artslearningfestival.com.au, that's artslearningfestival.com.au, and click on the school's program. Mary's also taking part in a festival seminar for teachers, which is looking at the expanding role of social practice in contemporary art. It's at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art, and Mary will be joined by local artist Kim Maxwell and ACA's artistic director, Max Delaney. To book, just go to artslearningfestival.com and click on our school's program. The event's free, but bookings are essential. Now, the website is also the place to explore the full program and secure places at our other exciting events. Well, that's it for this episode of the Arts Learning Festival podcast. We'll be back soon with the latest news, views and interviews from the Arts Learning Festival. <laughs>